open your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We would cover your prayers as Darren prayed this Tuesday, uh, about 11.30ish or so. My wife will be having surgery, and so we would appreciate, be thankful for, thank you for praying so far, um, and so we would cover your prayers for that, and uh, pray for our kids that are at school all day, and my in-laws that are coming down tomorrow, and uh, successful surgery. Pray for Dr. Libby. Um, he's just an amazing surgery, and God's just given us a wonderful relationship with him. A lot of opportunities there, and so uh, we, we are grateful for how we've seen the Lord work and uh, walking into this surgery with a lot of hope in Christ and faith in what he has done and what he's going to continue to do. Uh, so we do thank you for the support and care you've given us so far. 2 Corinthians 10, we're going to come to the end of the chapter. Um, uh, Darren's going to preach next Sunday. He gives me the opportunity to focus on caring for my wife uh, this week and our family. Uh, then we'll be uh, in chapter 11 as we work through November, and we'll start a Christmas series the week after Thanksgiving. Just a little bit of way of you thinking ahead, um, praying about where we're going to be after 2 Corinthians, and uh, strongly just petitioning the Lord for where he would have us to go. Um, I've had some some measure of uh, pressure from some folks what, what they'd love to where they'd love to hear some text of scripture we'll see we'll see what the lord says so if you think about it even pray uh, as we work through that but paul's right in the middle of this whole argument of defending himself it's really hard to defend yourself um in fact the, the reality is it's always better to have someone else defend you and and because the moment you're defending yourself, particularly if you're in Paul's position, you're in an authority position, you're a leader, and somebody's accusing you of being a little bit heavy-handed, uh, over-authoritarian, uh, power-hungry, power-tripping, wanting money, wanting wealth, wanting respect, and that's why you're doing this, and that's why you're authority. Well, it makes it really difficult to defend yourself. It, it really is a crafty attack of Satan, and that's really what Paul's having to address. It's also astoundingly painful. It's shockingly hurtful. Um, because Paul has really given his life. He's been willing to lay his life down for these folks in the midst of this, and yet here he is uh, struggling through and having to, to defend himself. Now, all of that's hard, and on top of that, it feels warm in here to me. Does it feel warm to anyone else? Um, yeah, maybe we could override it, and we'll see what happens there. I don't think I get hot flashes, but maybe that's what's happening. Who knows? So... Um, but I feel warm. So uh, I will say they're supposed to fix the AC this week. So we, we should be back up to normal. Um, and all God's people said, praise the Lord. So um, but 2 Corinthians 10, Paul working through this. Let me read the text. We're going to start at verse 7. We'll read down to the end of the chapter. And, and then really just start trying to unpack how does Paul go through this self-defense at this point? How does he process through some of the pain of this? This is what Paul says. Look at what is before your eyes. Uh, it's a way of saying in, in the Greek, it's as plain as the nose on your face, is what he's saying. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, 
they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond the limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. John chapter 9 records an amazing story. It's one of my favorite healing stories. Jesus shows up and he finds a man who's been born blind. And his disciples' reaction to this man who's been born blind, he's now a full-grown man, he's a beggar, is very insightful into how all the community saw this man. And this man, in his broken condition of blindness, their assumption is either he sinned or his parents sinned. Now think about that, he was born blind. So how could it be his sin? And, and so they had this whole theological warping that they believed that any suffering was God's judgment for sinfulness. That actually created a barrier to compassion. Why should I show compassion or why should I show generosity or why should I show love and true care for someone if you're in a bad condition but your bad condition is your bad decision? You need to live in that. I don't want to lift up God's judgment on you. And so this is their perspective. Jesus tells the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He's an outcast of society because he's a beggar, because he would have had no education, no career, nothing. He's a nobody. He's somebody that just sits in the dust all day. If nobody gives him money, he doesn't have anything to eat. He goes and washes in the pool of Siloam. He's immediately healed. The religious leaders get worked up about it. They're irritated about it. They, they're mad. They want to start questioning him. And then there's some disagreement. Was this really the guy born blind? So they bring his parents in. They start asking the parents, is this really the guy that was born blind? Yes, he is. They start drilling down on his parents, and his parents don't want any of this conflict. And they basically say, he's a full-grown man. Why don't you ask him? He's the guy that got healed. So they call the guy back in, and this is an amazing moment. They say, give glory to God. Who healed you? And these people who previously, this man in his brokenness, they rejected him. Now in his wholeness, uh, physically, they want to say, come on in. And when this man is insistent that it's Jesus, and clearly he has the power of God, now they kick him out. And they can't handle it. So listen, this is what's happening here. They rejected him for his external brokenness, but when Jesus made him perfectly whole, it revealed their spiritual brokenness. And that's what they reject him over now. And this man is put in a position, now he can have all the acceptance, all the friends, all the position he would have wanted if he would simply reject Jesus. He says, no, I'm not going to reject Jesus. Jesus is the one who heals me. And so now he experiences and suffers real rejection. Lots of times in our life, when God is at work in us and through us, and He's shining out His glory out of our cracks and fissures and our clay pots, it is going to make the spiritually broken very, very upset with us. And we are suddenly caught in a position where it seems like we could have all of the acceptance based on externals 
But if we're really going to follow Jesus and let him shine out of our broken condition, that's where we're going to experience rejection, and none of us want it. You see, because I'm preaching to a room this morning of people that are just like me. You have all your insecurities, all your fears, all your doubts, all your worries, all your anxieties, just like I've got them. And the last thing you want is somebody to know them because you live afraid that they'll reject you for them. And then Paul has been saying, but it's out of your weaknesses and it's out of your faults and your frailties that I'm going to shine my glory. And so we're caught in this pickle. (laughs) Am I going to reveal who I really am and therefore let Jesus' glory shine out of me? But maybe suffer your rejection. Or am I going to be willing to continue to hide? And what Paul does here in this moment is as he's being accused of all these weaknesses, all these failings, all these faults, is he going to run and hide? Is he going to do what the lost people so frequently do and what our flesh wants to do? And that's to defend myself by proving all the ways I'm strong? Or is he going to let the glorious light of Christ come out? How in the world has a church that Paul planted spent 18 months with gotten so angry with him so quickly i mean there's a whole part here that's just devastating it's it's like a child being raised in a kind home that then rejects their parents it's 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 stunning uh it's it's the younger the prodigal son the younger brother who his father is clearly gracious generous kind loving and just and he rejects all of it because i don't want you it's it's so painful to have someone you've cared for reject you someone that you've poured into reject you someone that you've discipled or spiritually cared for reject you and that's exactly what they're doing and it is astoundingly painful for paul one of the key accusations we cited it last week paul cited then but he comes back to it again you can tell that this is the one that stung in some ways the most for paul he repeats it there in verse 10 his later letters are weighty and strong but his bodily presence is weak Last week, we understood that they used that as a platform to say he's a coward. It's a character issue. This week, they actually are using it the way Paul defends himself to give two other accusations. And that is, is he even a, is he even a Christian? And if he is, he is no apostle because of this. So he's a coward. We're not even sure he's saved. And he has no business being an apostle or having any authority. Paul somehow has to speak to this. Do you know how I'd want to speak to this? Delete your contact and move on. Why? Why Why would you re-engage with this? These people are on mission to deny the authority of God. They're on mission to deny you. They're on mission to cut you out, to somehow restrict you, minimize you diminish you because they've got all their own issues going on but they take their issues and they make them your fault and yet paul refuses to cave to their false accusations and instead he takes these false accusations and he uses them as a platform he uses these accusations he he uses what's true about them where he is weak and failing and faulting and he actually climbs on top of them because paul understands this god is on mission to show his glory out of your life and out of mine And he can do it through strengths. He can, and he does sometimes. But you start reading your Bibles, 
You start studying what Paul is saying, and I just want to remind you this. God is on mission to show his glory out of you, and predominantly it's going to come out of your and my faults, failures, weaknesses, and cracks. Why do we keep hiding them? And how instead do we use those as a platform to glorify God? And so, first of all, let's, let's, let's consider the source. Let's consider the source of these folks, and then we're going to work our way through it. But, but I do think everyone in this room struggles with their insecurities, fears, and doubts. We all have this inner voice in us that is telling us all the areas where we're weak, all the areas where we're not enough. It's astoundingly painful then when someone else comes into our lives and they give a voice to those same doubts and fears. It's like they crank the volume up on it. We already feel insecure and we already feel like a failure. We already feel weak. We already feel broken. And then some, sometimes some, God brings someone into your life or, or frankly he allows, permits someone into your life. Lots of times they're from Satan in this case. And they, they want a voice. They want to give all that voice to it. You know, it's like when you're a kid and you go to school and you're insecure about somehow something about your appearance. And there's always that kid that's on mission to point out to you what's weird about your appearance. Right? They, they, they think that's their job. And as you get older, you will continue to encounter people like this. It's one thing when you and I wrestle internally with the concept that we're not strong enough, or we're not smart enough, or we're not bold enough, we're not fun enough, we don't have a, better, a good enough personality, we're not pretty enough. It's a whole other thing when someone else comes and says those same things about you. It's a whole other issue when suddenly your own internal fears are given voice. When someone says, you are a terrible parent, you are a bad child, you're a terrible sibling, you're a worthless neighbor, you're a terrible boss or employee. It's a whole different matter. And, and it's, it's shocking because lots of times it almost doesn't matter who's saying it. It's just the fact that someone else sees us that way where our own heart is struggling and it's devastating to us. You ever been in that spot? You ever had somebody give voice to your greatest fears? I was in eighth grade. There was a guy. Um, he and I did not get along. Gilbert and I went many rounds together. But there was one spot where I really pitied Gilbert. Gilbert was um, a bigger kid, larger kid, and kind of, um, he, did, he wasn't very athletic. And there was a girl in school that he really liked. This got around the entire middle school. He had asked her out and she told him no. She would go out with him if he'd make the team and lose 50 pounds. What do you think that does to a 13-year-old boy? I know enough about sociology and life that I am going to guarantee you at 47, he hasn't forgotten that. You think it touched on his own insecurities? His own fears? Gilbert did it. He lost a ton of weight and he made the ball team. And guess what? She still rejected him. You know what that told you? It means that she had capitalized on a fear issue because she thought that would push him away and he would never get it done. Even when he got it done, he was not enough. Where do you feel like you're not enough? Where are the inner voices that are constantly accusing you? Paul is very aware of his own past and weaknesses. He feels like a weak and broken vessel. We've covered that ground in chapter 4. He feels like the least of all the apostles. He knows he's not the best preacher that they've ever heard. He's undeserving of his role in the life of the church. 
He's the guy that was a persecutor, now made a leader and a church planner. Imagine the pain then when these people that he had given his life for, when he had shown up so broken, so weak, and he planted the church, imagine the pain when they're now saying the same things that his own heart would have been accusing him about. Here's what I need you to do this morning. Some of you like to take notes, so if you want to, you need to write it down. If you're one of those that I'm afraid to write it down because someone might find and see what I wrote down. And others of you are like, I just don't like to write it down. I don't like when the preacher asks me to write it down. So, okay, then just think about it, right? Where are you weak? Where, and you can pick one. Like some of you, you're like, man, I just thought, I just had 20 things popping in my brain, Steve. Some of you, it's like one or two, and, you, and just, it's just because it's painful right now. You're not being proud about it. You're not trying to say that, no, I'm really strong, but, but there's just one area that I'm weak. But like, where is one? Just pick one. One area where you feel weak, not enough where you are afraid and insecure, where you sense failing and faltering, where are you broken in this world's eyes? Pick one of them. You're not strong enough. You're not physically what this world demands. Maybe you're even in a stage in life where you feel you're diminishing physically. You're mentally, you don't think that you're smart enough, bright enough, quick enough student. You're weak in the sense of trials. The pains of this world seem to overwhelm you and you find that you have a difficult time staying the course. You're good at starting but not finishing. You're not even good at starting because you're afraid and intimidated by those things. Where are you weak? I, and you need to write that down or think of it. I think that would be the best way to help you chart your way through this. And so, how does Paul process through this? Well, let's, let's walk with him as he processes through it. Verse 7, verse 7. First thing he says to these folks that are giving a voice to his insecurities, to any fears, to real weaknesses in his life. Because Paul really wasn't the best preacher. He really was an apostle born out of time. Paul really had been beaten up and bruised. Paul really had been abandoned. Paul really had been left naked. Paul really had gone hungry. Paul didn't have enough money. All those things were true. Paul really had but when he showed up and crying when he confronted them, but very bold when he wrote his letter, all those things were true. They're just assuming things about him, and this is what they're assuming, and it's the same thing your heart and my heart assumes. All these areas of weaknesses, the one you just picked, means this is an area God can't use me. I'm not good enough to be used by Jesus because of this. And so Paul starts off, and he's helpful to us hurting people, because he uses a little bit of sarcasm. Uh, and you're like, yes, push back. Look at what is before your eyes. <laughs> if anyone is confident that he's Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. The first thing Paul does is he points out where they are looking. And he really is saying to them, the truth should be as obvious as the hand in front of their face. It's a reference to their external focus. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. God chose a freckled-faced teen boy to kill the giant. God chose a foolish and rash 40-year-old to make him into a stuttering 90, to make him into a stuttering 80-year-old in order to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He took a 90-year-old woman in order to open her womb to birth the start of a nation. God puts his own son in a manger born of a virgin teen girl with no money. In other words, Paul is saying you are looking on the outside it should actually be obvious to you. When people are coming to you and they're cranking up the volume of the insecurities, fears that you feel, that you're wrestling with, you need to be considering what are they really looking at? 
Who are these people and consider the source from which it's coming? When your inner voice of painful insecurity and weakness is given a physical voice, I want to encourage you to ask you what is the focus of the person making the claim. Now, we need to live this way. We need to live humbly in the reality that confrontation is painful. And guess what? Edification sometimes hurts, but it's good for our growth. However, and I'm going to tell you something, and I've learned this. This is one of those moments, the longer I preach, the longer I walk with Jesus, and I, and I start studying text, I'm like, oh my word, I wish I had known this passage 15 years ago. I wish I had known this 20 years ago, because this would have so helped my soul. And, and so I'm like, well, Lord, it's timely, it's now, but this is one of the things I wish I knew when I've had people crank up the voice and start maximizing my weaknesses, my faults, and my failures to me. I want to live in this reality while confrontation and edification sometimes hurt. Not all hurtful communication then means that it's edifying. You see, because my tendency would be somebody saying something to me and it's astoundingly painful. And I feel like it's giving voice to my own inner insecurities and fears that this must be a Jesus confrontational moment. And what I'm seeing from the text of Scripture is just because it hurts don't mean that that's a good hurt. And Paul is willing to push back a little bit here and say, wait a minute, wait a minute here. What are you looking at? Where is your focus? Just because someone is saying something hurtful to you does not mean that it is good edification or good confrontation. Just because it agrees with your my inner fleshly voice of insecurity doesn't make it right, true, or helpful. You need to ask yourself this question when you're having those conversations. What is the focus? You need to have it whether it's your own heart preaching these lies to you or whether it's someone else. What is the focus? For Paul, for Paul, I love this, he points out, you know what, you're really confident that you belong to Jesus. So do I. I'm glad you're that confident. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he's Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so are we. I know that I walk with Jesus. I know that I know Jesus. I once had someone, they really didn't like something I was doing. They really, really didn't like it. I was making some decisions a uh, long, long time ago as, as, as having to deal with some things. And this person just wholesale did not like what I was doing. And this is what they actually told somebody. They were talking to somebody about it. They said, I don't even know. He may even have a demon in him. Like, what? Those are kind of like soul-shaking moments a little bit. And they're looking at Paul, and they're so mad about what Paul's doing and they look at all these ways that he deals with it and his methods of handling the church and his method of trying to disciple them and apostle them. And they said, we don't even know if you know your Jesus. And he's looking at them and he said, you, yeah, listen, listen, you know Jesus. This is what he tells the Corinthians. You know Jesus because, get this now, I know Jesus. And because I know Jesus, he did a work in me and he sent me to you and I preach Jesus to you. It's his way of saying, quit looking at the broken things of my life and assuming you can now dismiss me because you think, you, don't know Christ, you think I don't know Christ. What is the focus of these people that are coming to you? Paul recognizes they are looking on the outside and not considering the inner work of God in themselves or in him. Here's, here's what it really comes down to when somebody comes to you this. Ask this question, is growth the goal? 
And I, I want to encourage you, feel the freedom even in that moment to ask this question. How do you, have you prayed for and do you intend for this to help me to be like Jesus? I'm going to tell you some really bad answers. When someone says, well, I haven't thought that far ahead, you just need to know. Hit the four-wheel disc brakes on that conversation. And be honest enough to say, then I'm not sure if this is edification. I'm not sure what your goal is. But can we do this? Can we just end this conversation in prayer? Maybe you pray about it, I pray about it, then we come back and have this conversation. What is the goal here? Where do you see this helping me to know and love Jesus better? These people are coming after Paul. They want to highlight his, his, his weaknesses, the way he leads. We don't like you. We don't like how you talk. You talk weird. You're ugly. You're not a good preacher. Send us a polis. We don't even want your mess. You know what? We're not even sure there's Jesus in you. And Paul says, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Your focus is all on the external. The second thing you need to do is you need to ask them, what is the issue going on here? And that's what Paul does next. Verse 8, even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. The accusation, again, is that Paul is weak when he shows up in person, but he's bold when he writes a letter. And so their assumption then is you have no authority here. You have no voice to speak to us now authority is a difficult thing to talk about in the life of the church it's hard because our chief shepherd is jesus he's perfect and then he gives all these human authorities into our lives he gives us lost government officials we're supposed to submit to he gives us lost or saved uh, uh employers that we're supposed to submit to um sat in the teen sunday school class this morning tyler was teaching them this morning even lost parents they're called to honor and obey that's that's horrible um it, he gives us that and he then he gives us in the life of the church so it's supposed to be our respite place for him to deal with all these uh losers that are over us he gives us these weak and failing shepherds under shepherds and we're supposed to listen to the chief shepherd through them don't we have the holy spirit just like them there's some kind of authority here it's a mess and their response to paul is you how do you even have authority not only are you in jesus but how do you have authority to rebuke us to confront us who are you you're not my mama. What I said to the nursery worker once. That ended badly for two-year-old Steve. But that's how we act. Don't I have a chief authority that I answer to? How is it you? Their real goal and desire is not to help Paul. Their goal and desire in these painful accusations, these painful confrontations, their goal is not how can we help Paul be more like Jesus? Their goal is to silence him. Their goal is to remove the teeth from the lion. We don't have to listen to you. We don't have to submit to you in any way, shape, or form. We don't have to give you any kind of loving, respect, deference. We don't owe you any of that, Paul. We, you know what? You're not an authority over us because you're weak. They don't want to turn from their sin. They don't want to own their own failures. Sometimes, we've all learned, the best defense is a good offense, and that's what the false teachers are doing. Paul comes after them, so they go on the attack. They don't deal with the issues at hand. They, they deny that they or anyone else even needs to listen to Paul. We all do that in our flesh when we're confronted, every one of us in this room. How, when was the last time somebody confronted you and your first internal response is, well, aren't they a self-righteous Pharisee? <laughs> Hmm. 
When's the last time somebody confronted you and your, your internal thought was, you know what, they're saying this because they're in it for them. They don't love me. They don't care about my growth. The real issue here, though, is a denial of the authority of Christ through Paul as an apostle. Their real issue is a desire for them to keep on doing what they want to do. You need to be asking your own internal voice that's shouting about all your weaknesses and failures or the voices of others. You need to be asking, what's the goal? What's the purpose of these accusations what's the purpose of this moment of this conversation what is to be gained here what is the end plan here how will this help me to be like jesus how is this their plan to help me be like jesus how will this help me make me more like christ you feel free to even ask them straight up how do you intend to help this to how do you intend for this to help me to grow and change and then what would that look like from the bible i just want you to know this if someone comes in your life and they want to talk about your weaknesses and your brokennesses and your and your failures and your faults can i just tell you how you'll be able to tell it's from jesus it will come cloaked in love doesn't mean it won't hurt it'll come cloaked in love that such a way that says this hey I, can we just talk about your I, I think maybe you're weak here you're you're a little faulty here can we just have a conversation because i think jesus actually wants to shine out of that with you And I don't think that's something you need to be ashamed of because Jesus has covered that in his righteous cloak. But I want to just come along beside you and help encourage you. That's not what they're doing with Paul, though, is it? And my guess is many of you have experienced these kinds of moments, and that's not what these people are doing either. And when we talk about ways that you're broken and you're weak, you're faulting, you feel not enough. Frankly, as we work through weaknesses and brokennesses, I just want to remind you that the vast majority of those are not areas of sanctification. You can't snap your fingers and fix all the ways you were rejected growing up, can you? You can't snap your fingers and take away this physical trial that's making you weak. This ongoing Hebrews chapter 12, the sin which does so easily beset you. I'm not saying you can't walk in purity and in the power of the Spirit, but I'm saying that for many of us, and according to Hebrews 12, you're going to spend your whole life fighting against certain sin bents. Your whole life. And so if somebody comes to you and they say that somehow you can suddenly be fixed, so that all your weaknesses are now all buttoned up, and so that clay pot that Jesus went and got off the ash heap can be painted and made up to look like a Ming vase. I want you to know, if somebody comes to you preaching that message, that's actually not the theme of the Bible. Because God actually wants to shine out of your brokenness and your weaknesses instead of covering them all up so that you look better. And so what is the real issue here? The real issue for these folks is they didn't want to be under authority at all. And so then he presses on. Where, so then next, next was, where's the Bible? Verses 9 and 10. I don't want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. And he's like, that's not my goal. You say that his letters are weighty, right? For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. I just want you to know what they're doing is they're filtering Paul through their concept of what a leader should be. So what they don't understand is Paul writes this letter and, and it's very direct, and it's very bold. I mean, we've got two of the letters, two of the four, right in front of us, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and they're pretty direct, right? They're pretty bold. He's saying things like, if you don't handle this, I'm going to get there, I'm going to bring a rod with me. 
uh, you better discipline this guy out of your church. Um, you know what? You celebrate Lord's Supper. Some of you are drunk. Some of you are going hungry. Uh, this is actually not communion at all. When I get there, I'm going to help you figure this mess out. You're not even doing communion right. Uh, spiritual gifts, no, it's not about tongues. It's not about prophecy. It's not about all these sign gifts. It's not about you in the middle of the service. It should be about the glory of God and the edification of others. When I get, so all that's pretty direct, but they read it as harsh. They read it as domineering. They read it as bombastic. We read First and Second Corinthians, and we're like, that's a mess of a church that needs to be corrected. And Paul is doing that. And so then when Paul shows up in person, and, and, and it's kind of like when somebody sees, sends you a text or an email, right? Some of it's generational. We understand this. Somebody emails you, and it's all caps. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm Gen X, right? So there's lots of technology. That now I'm starting to find scary, and it's weird. I think self-driving electric cars are from Satan. If it ain't got volume and horsepower, I don't want it, right? I'm going to be that kind of curmudgeon, right? But somebody, I know this. Somebody writes to me in all caps. It's like they're screaming at me. Hey, Steve, right? But some of you over a certain generation just means your pinky finger hit that caps lock by accident. You're not trying to yell at all. Written communication can be hard, right? Then, then I got the generation, like a couple generations below us. They're like beyond millennial, right? They got all kinds of weird little acronyms and things they're saying. I, look, I, LOL, I'm down with that. Laugh out loud, I, I'm good. But I, emojis, all that kind of stuff, I'm like, what? Communication, so they read Paul's written communication and they're reading it through a particular filter. They're reading it through a cultural lens of what a leader should sound like and be like. So when they read that, they're reading anger. They're reading yelling. They're reading harshness. They're reading a bombastic attitude. And then Paul shows up and he's meek and gentle in their presence and he starts crying in front of them. And, and just to remind you, look over chapter 11 again, see what their leaders were like, the false teachers were like. And filter how they're looking at Paul this way, right? Uh, 11.20. For if you bear, you bear it, if someone makes slaves of you, that's so they're ma- I'm your master. That's not how Paul's wielding his authority. Or devours you. Um, Galatians, he talks about us biting and devouring one another. That's, that's just this mean-spirited personal attacks. That's what these guys do. That's not what Paul's doing takes advantage of you puts on airs strikes you in the face right my kids loved that last week they were like can you have met they were all about that somebody just stopping the sunday school the sermon coming out and slapping somebody like that is crazy town so they take paul and they read paul's weaknesses and they read paul's frailties and they read paul's faltering base speech that's what they describe it it's so funny because peter said paul can be hard to understand the corinthians said paul you don't talk so good and your vocabulary ain't that great right so so they take all that and they say you're a terrible leader where's the bible where's the authority of the word over what you're supposed to be doing and who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to behave it wasn't cultural for paul it was jesus that's why he said when i came to you to lead you i came in the meekness and gentleness of jesus i'm not on mission to look like these false teachers i'm not on mission to look like uh, uh the the world's best leader i'm not on mission to look like a dictator i'm not on mission to do that i want to look like jesus and so i entreat you seven times and throughout second corinthians he says i entreat you or i beg you to do this that doesn't sound like these false teachers that are slapping people that disagree with them so they read paul's frailties and his weaknesses and his brokennesses through a cultural lens And someone comes along in our life, and they're not on mission to actually help us be like Jesus. They have conversations with us about where we're broken or we're weak or we feel 
frail or faulty, and maybe we've, we've even made mistakes and we haven't handled situations correctly. Or they don't, they're, not, they're not on mission, though, to help us to, to grow in Jesus so people see more of Jesus. They don't point out to us where our hope can be found in Christ. They think all of our problems and our weaknesses are our fault. So they attack us. If you'd only been smarter, if you'd only been more righteous, if you'd only been a better son, a better daughter, a better parent, a better boss, a better neighbor, and so on, then their life would be better. You would make their life better if you would just be better. The reality is for Paul, they read these letters of his and they read them through lenses of terrible authority. So they read Paul yelling, they read Paul angry, they read Paul harsh. Then when Paul shows up in tears, pleading, impacted by their personal attacks, he's wounded. They're used to somebody, if they give a personal attack, that's what the false teachers do anyway. So if they attack somebody personally, they're used to somebody yelling back at them and even smacking them. Paul shows up and he's crying. You know why I think a lot of us don't confront people that hurt us? They sin against us? Because sometimes it's humiliating to admit that they impacted us that deeply. It's painful. And so it's painful for Paul. They read that through cultural lenses then, and they think that he's a terrible, weak leader. Consider the source in your ugly situations. Consider the source and what's going on. What is, these, what is their focus and what is their issue, and where is the Bible in this? Well, I think you should be willing to say, can you help me see that in Scripture? Paul feels the tension here. Paul, the tension between himself and a church he planted, the tension between his own weaknesses and their sinful assumptions about his weaknesses, the tension between trying to be meek and gentle and yet also defend himself. And so Paul takes all these accusations, and this is what's amazing, and he actually uses them to build a platform for him to jump on top of to shout the glory of God. In Paul's day, if you wanted to defend yourself, there was actually, um, Plato wrote a whole treatise and. um, how do you actually defend yourself without looking too arrogant? And they pointed to a Roman general. There's this Roman general, he's out at war, um, and it was time for all the other generals around him to leave the battlefield. The Senate had a law. You could only serve so long because they didn't want them to get too much power. They didn't want them to become the next Julius Caesar who rules all the armies, comes back and takes over Rome. Well, this general's out there. They're distanced from Rome. They're winning battles, but it's time for all the other generals to leave. And he says, you're not leaving because if we press the fight here, we're going to conquer all this land. Well, all those guys listen to him. They press the fight. So when the, gen- the Senate brings this guy back, they're like, hey, what's your problem? You broke the law. Should have sent those generals back. He looks at the Senate, and it's recorded. He stood up in front of the Senate, and he said, look, look, I'll admit I broke your law. I'll admit I pressed the fight. I'll confess all these things, and you can do whatever you want to do to me. If you'll admit that because I did what I did, you got more land, more people, and more money. I'm ready to confess. What do you have to say? Because his victories had brought more treasure, more land, more power, more people. And the Senate laughed, pat him on the back, and literally named a day in his honor. That's how they expected people to defend themselves. They expected people to start shouting their strengths to defend themselves. Yeah, but look at all this that I've done. Look at all this that I've done. Look at all this that I've accomplished. You've got to admit, I might be weak here, but look at all this I've done over here. They shift the focus from their weaknesses to their strength. And so how's Paul going to do it? Verse 11, let such a person understand that what we say by letter, when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. 
But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Here's what our temptation will always be. Our temptation will be, whether it's our own inner voice of insecurities, fears, and doubts, that's talking about all the areas where we're weak and broken, or whether God uh, has permitted, has sovereignly ordained this person over here, person X, to give voice to them. Your temptation and my temptation will be to immediately compare ourselves to others to prove our true worth. I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I'm smarter than... I may not be the strongest, but I'm stronger than. I may not be the best son, but I did this. I may not be the best parent, but I did this. I may not be the best spouse, but I did I may not be the best friend, but I did this. I may not be the, the best Christian, but I did this. And Paul says that that's a fool's errand, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to respond to reminders and accusations about all my frailties and weaknesses by comparing myself with others. Instead... I'm going to look at this through biblical lenses, and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to boast in Jesus. He presses on. Verse 13, we will not boast beyond limits. We'll boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. We're not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you if we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. Do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases... Our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel and lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's the third time it shows up in the Bible. First time is in Jeremiah. The other two times are in the letters to the Corinthians. Jeremiah, the nation of Israel, is it's the weeping prophet. So ask yourself this question. Where was Paul reading in the Old Testament when he was dealing with the struggles in Corinth? He was reading Jeremiah, the weeping, ineffective prophet. You think Paul felt weepy and ineffective? I think so. You come to this moment, Jeremiah chapter 9, the city is wailing, Jerusalem is is crying out to God, um, deliver us, deliver us, the nations have come in, the northern kingdom's gone, southern kingdom's under assault by the Babylonians, we're about to be destroyed, we're about to be defeated, everybody's mourning, everybody's crying, and this is what they're mourning and crying for, they're mourning and crying and saying, God, would you raise us up to, to stand on the necks of our enemies, would you raise us up to destroy the enemies of your people? And God says, no, because you're mourning and crying about the wrong things. What you should mourn and cry over is your sin. And the problem is, you want me to fix your brokenness externally so you can go back to your spiritual brokenness internally. But what I'm on mission to do is to let you fall apart externally so I can expose who you really are on the inside so I can make you whole. I want to work through your weaknesses and your failures and your brokennesses, not in spite of them. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So Paul's reading Jeremiah, Paul reads this passage, and Paul's heart is clearly moved and warmed by this reality He's right. They're right. I am weak. I am broken. I am an apostle born out of time. I was a persecutor of the church. I am the least of the apostles. I don't preach too well. I am ugly. I have these physical faults. That's okay. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, he gets the end, he says, that's okay, because I can boast in the Lord, because he wants to use the weak things to confound the strong. He wants to use the foolish things to confound the wise. It's okay that I'm broken all these ways, because that's how he wants to show Jesus' glory and not my glory. And that's what he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 1. I know that's been three years ago for us. And now he brings it up again. It's the third time, last time it shows up in the Bible. And it's all in the context of them pointing out to Paul how he's a terrible leader, terrible apostle, weak, scared, coward. And what Paul is saying is this. You're right. You're right. I am all those things. What you don't get is it's I'm all those things for you to see Jesus and not me. He will go on as he defends himself to, to just soak in all of his weaknesses. He will, they, they, they say, you know what, Paul, you do terrible ministry because look how you get beat up. He's, you know what his answer is? You're right, I do get beat up for doing ministry. This is what it looks like. You know what, Paul, you don't speak well. You're right, so these are all the ways I'm weak and failing. They want to boast comparing themselves with others by focusing on their strengths. Let me compare myself to Jesus. Highlight my weaknesses so you can see Jesus through it. Paul interprets this passage to mean that God uses the confusing and confounding weak and foolish things of this world in order to showcase his glory. And so Paul says, I'm going to boast in Jesus, not in me. I'm not going to make this about me then. I'm not going to talk about how I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the light of the law. I'm not going to talk about the fact that maybe God saved me because I had a tremendous amount of power influence because I was the leading persecutor against the church. I'm not going to talk about the fact that y'all didn't see Jesus on the road to Emmaus, but guess who did? Or Damascus, guess who did? Right here, blind, but then he made me see. I'm not going to boast in all this stuff. I'm not going to boast in my strength. I'm going to boast in Christ and what God has done. And so what he does then, he's, he begins seeing through God's eyes what's going on. Paul is celebrating the power of God. Paul gets what God is doing, and he wants them to get it also. Paul preaches some truth to his heart here that is astoundingly helpful for us. God gave Paul the opportunity and the power to go to the Corinthians, but Paul showed up to the Corinthians literally bruised from being beaten. God needed something to house the gospel, of the glorious gospel of Jesus. Look, when, um, shortly after we got married and, and we moved here uh, a year or something after that, um, go into a new house, and, and I've got all this stuff, right? I've got Social Security cards, I've got uh, mortgage statements, I, I, I've, I've got um, a verification of my wife's wedding ring, I've I got, I got some precious things that need to be stored and so I went down to Lowe's and I bought a fire box a fire safety box this is where I'm gonna keep all these valuable things when we back up pictures on a hard drive goes in the fire safety box that's what we want to do we want to protect uh valuable things right that's that's what we want to do um we, we, we got some little bit of china it's 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 nice to us it's not amazing china we got a china cabinet put the china in we we, we hand wash that stuff Thanksgiving and Christmas right so we, we don't we don't want to, that's not safe in the dishwasher we take care of it. God said, here I've got the glorious gospel of Jesus. Literally, the light of the world. What am I going to use to put that in? Huh. And he walks out of his house, goes back to the ash heap, and he starts digging around, and he found you. I just want to be clear. 
You know what we are? We're Tupperware. And we're not even good Tupperware. We're not even name brand Tupperware. We're Chinese takeout plastic box. It doesn't quite fit right. And somebody put the leftover Stover's lasagna in it. Now it's stained pink. And you know you're weak and frail, don't you? Because you have this constant inner voice telling you how weak and frail and broken you are and how not enough you are. And he went to the ash pile and he took out the busted up broken clay pot of Paul. And he stuffed the glorious light of Jesus in him. And Paul would have to be asking, what's the plan here? But Paul knows the word, and you can literally read Paul preach to his heart about what the plan is. So God sends Paul, we will boast, verse 13, only with regard to the area of influence God assigned us to reach you. That's all Paul had done. Paul had gone to Corinth, and he had brought a little bit of fire, the fire of the gospel, and he had a little, little blaze, stayed there 18 months to try to fan this into a fire, left it as a church, and went away, and now the fire wants to burn him. Now they're rejecting him. That was what Paul did. Paul started Corinth, and now he's locked horns in fight with these people that have been infected by false teachers that are judging him and denying God's authority and don't want any more to do with him. That's what, that's what Paul has been able to do. This is what Paul's hope is as he walks by faith through his own weaknesses and his failures. Verse 14, we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were with the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is, our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. You know what he says? He understands this, that God works ministry through multiplication. And sometimes we've done very, very little. And in fact, if we're honest, many of us feel like we've done actually very little for the kingdom. Most of us, if we're going to be honest about it, we feel like we've dropped very little seed out there. We've done very little ministry. We've done very little sacrificial, loving others ministry. We've done little, but, but we've done what God empowered us to do. We've done what we could as a broken vessel. We've done what we've done as Chinese staying takeout box. What we've done to showcase Christ. And now Paul's walking in hope, though. And Paul's belief, though, is that God likes to take little things and make big things. Paul has read his Bible. And Paul is convinced that when God wants to kill a nine-foot giant, he doesn't send a nine-foot man. He sends a little boy with a sling. Paul's read his Bible and he understands that God loves to put the children of Israel up against the Red Sea on one side and the largest, most powerful, freestanding army on the other side just so he can split the waters with an 80-year-old man who stutters with a staff. That's what God likes to do. Paul understands when, he, when God said, I'm going to send my son into the world, he doesn't send him to be born in a palace, didn't send him to be born with a bunch of treasure, but he sent him to a broke couple, a virgin teenage girl, for him to be born in a manger and have shepherds come worship him. That's because God loves to show his glory and not your glory. But Paul's hope is that God is going to do what God has always done, and he's going to take the little bit of broken ministry that we can do out of these very frail, broken lives, and he's going to multiply its impact beyond what we can see. You and I stand on the shoulders of the giants of the faith who have gone before us, but none of them knew they were giants of the faith. They simply were faithfully stewarding what God had given them to do. 
through very broken vessels. Paul doesn't stop there, though. That's not just his hope. He says, we don't, we don't just boast, verse 15, we don't boast beyond the limits of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. But then verse 15, Paul knows he's not going to get all of the world. I think Paul already has a sense now that he's going to die. Verse 16, so that we may preach the gospel lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. There's a prayer I frequently pray for my own children and a prayer that I pray for your children. And so I want you to know what I pray. I pray, dear God, would you do a work in their kids? And I start praying it when your kids are little. Some of you in utero, I've prayed these prayers. And would you raise them up to be a man of God, a woman of God, that brings such exponential greater fruit into your kingdom than their parents do? Would you multiply the impact of their parents speaking Jesus into their life so that you will take them and you will continue to multiply it like you took a little boy's lunch and you fed over 20,000 with it. Would you multiply the impact for your kingdom? That's what Paul's doing walking by faith. You see, when Paul sees his weaknesses and frailties and when people cranked up the volume and they said, look how weak and frail you are, Paul's like saying, you're right, but guess what Jesus is going to do through it? And so he looks through God's eyes. And what that does is it gives him a platform to praise God on. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It is not the one who commends himself who is approved. But the one whom the Lord commends. Remember what I asked you to do? Where are you weak? Where are you foolish? Where are you not enough? Where are you insecure and faltering? Paul sees this as God's opportunity to shine his glory through you. These are actually opportunities to say, Look what God has done. Look at the amazing work that he has done, despite who we are. There will always be opposition, and there will always be people who have this externalized view of who we are, and they will act like our weakened and broke areas are a problem that should bring us shame. No way. God intends to use our weaknesses, our failings, our falterings, our trials, our ongoing sanctification struggles to give a platform to proclaim his strength. When Israel was resistant, it showed, showcased God's steadfast love toward them. When Israel was up against it, God showed his power as he delivered them through the Red Sea, fed them in the desert, and rescued them from their enemies. When David repented in the Psalms, he asked God that God would give him a platform to proclaim God's goodness. But listen now, David understood, I get a platform to proclaim his mercy and his forgiveness because in my weakness and failing, I sinned. Paul understood that the resistance he needed to false accusations, cranked up volume that highlight failings and brokennesses with no help that drives our hearts to Jesus. These damning words shouting his inadequacies. What Paul needed was not more of himself. Paul understood that it was that he needed to see the wonderful things that God had done. Listen now. What he believed by faith God would do currently and what he believed in hopeful faith that God would do once he's off the scene. Can you finish this sentence this morning? I want to praise God publicly because when I am, and where's that area you are weak? When I am not smart enough, any right thing is shown as God's wisdom. When I'm not strong, 
I see His strength. When I am too tired to press on, He gives me rest for my soul and strength for my spirit to press on. I want to encourage us to climb onto the accusations of weaknesses and use them as a platform to shout God's glory. And I'll tell you this, the more I study Paul, the more I see God's plan through, the, through biblical theology over time, the more I feel the shame of being a stained piece of Tupperware. Go away. Because it's the more I see that's how Jesus can be seen. And my kids and my family and my friends and my neighbors and my coworkers and your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers and your sons and your daughters and your parents, they don't need to see more of you, do they? They don't need to hear more of you, do they? Don't they need to see and hear Jesus? May we be on mission to embrace God's glorious plan that he's intended to shout his glory. Father, we thank you for your servant Paul. <laughs> Lord, it's so fascinating to read Paul's hopeful prayer, his hopeful prayer of faith that you would flame the little fire in Corinth into a forest fire that would multiply and impact the unreached world. And here we are in a land thousands of miles away that he didn't even know existed, reading what you did in your servant. He walked by faith for what you could do through his weaknesses. May we walk by faith also. God, may we encourage one another of how we have seen Jesus coming out of one another. May we use these accusations and the failings and weaknesses of our lives as a platform to bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.